Welcome to episode 104 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm thrilled to be having a conversation with one of my mentors and dear friend Dr. Diana Minick. Dr. Diana Minick is a holistically minded health educator and author with more than 20 years of experience in nutrition, mind, body, spirit, health and functional medicine. Dr. Minick holds master's and doctorate degrees in nutrition and medical sciences and has lectured globally on health topics teaching patients and health professionals. She is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, a certified nutrition specialist and a certified functional medicine practitioner. Dr. Minick teaches for the Institute of Functional Medicine and for the graduate program in functional medicine at the University of Western States. She also serves on the board of directors for the American Nutrition Association and is president of the American College of Nutrition. Her passion is bringing forth a colorful whole self approach to nourishment and bridging the gaps between science, soul and art and medicine. She has published 6 books on health and wellness and over 40 scientific publications. Dr. Minick is wonderful when bringing together the synergy of science and symbolism. It was a real effort to keep this conversation down to an hour. She takes us through understanding phytonutrients, the systems that they interplay within the body, how these systems interact with sleep and also how might we use colorful food and interweave it into our daily diet. Color is truly code. Colorful food is remarkable in shifting the microbiome, combating oxidative stress and supporting optimal brain health. You will love this banter between us as we gently move through the waves of science and spirituality. Thank you to Christine for leaving this 5-star review on Apple Podcast titled Guided Sleep Meditation Floating to Freedom on a River with Himalayan Yogi. This meditation was absolutely amazing and took me on a beautiful hypnotic journey flowing down a magical river. Sham's voice is so soothing and rhythmic that I drifted in and out of what I felt was a nurturing relaxation experience before falling completely asleep. Continue to create these meditations, sleep whisperer family, you both have a gift. Oh, thank you, Christine. Now take a listen to Diana and myself. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, author and yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Dr. Diana Minick, it is a pleasure and my honor to host you on this podcast today and uh, full transparency you're one of my mentors and it's definitely a blessing to have you and I was just talking to you before we started the conversation that It's fortitude that you're the first conversation I'm recording in 2022 and I see it as a sign of good things to come. Um and today we are speaking about uh, the bidirectional axis between inflammation and sleep and how phytonutrients play into supporting ourselves through um reversing inflammation or reducing systemic inflammation and i know that you've got so much wisdom to share in this area and maybe we could just speak a little bit i know that you've probably spoken about phytonutrients in other podcasts but i would love to get a little personal 
uh, intersection into why did phytonutrients fascinate you and where was your journey that brought you into this fascination for color? <laughs> wow. Um, well, first I want to say, Deepa, it's a pleasure to be here. And I agree. There's something fortuitous about this first podcast of the year, right? And I know that we've tried in the past to get together for the podcast. However, I know that we also surrender to divine timing. So here we are. Well, how did I get into color? I, I would say that many of our paths within functional nutrition, functional medicine often arise from a personal crisis or personal healing. And for me, that was the case. I was brought up by parents who were very, I would say strict, regimented, and uh, very conscientious about our food, our health. And at that time, I wasn't so receptive to it because it really wasn't a health trend. It was like, you don't wanna do those things when you're that young, right? But my mother is full of uh, wisdom, even to this day. And what I noticed on my healing journey is that I kept coming back to food. In fact, it was so pronounced that I decided to go to graduate school and study nutrition. So mom was definitely right all along. And when I was in graduate school, when you say, well, how did you come to color? Part of the way that I got to phytonutrients is because I was in the lab of Dr. Phyllis Bowen. She was at the University of Illinois at Chicago where I went to graduate school. And I decided to work with her on carotenoids. Carotenoids are the, it's, it's a compound class. So there are 700 plus different compounds within the carotenoid family. And I had the opportunity to study lycopene. I had the opportunity to study beta carotene. You know, those are some of the more popular ones. And now we know that there are so many of these other carotenoids that are getting more visibility. So then I thought about plants in a very unique way. I went on for my PhD looking at essential fatty acids. So I kind of moved away from plants, but all the while I was still intrigued in nutrition by these different, at that time it was antioxidants. You call them antioxidants because they were being put into functional foods to help people with eye health and skin health and brain health. And then I think it, it then my personal crisis was beginning. You know, I was ending my graduate studies with my PhD. I found myself more emotionally distraught and I began painting and I began painting bright canvases. Like I would just take a canvas, a long piece of paper even, and I started painting colors and not in any kind of structured way. I would just begin putting the paint on the paper. And I remember my first painting was a long piece of paper that looked like an amoeba. It was a black outline filled with red and yellow, and it was very bright. And I put it on my wall and I almost felt like it was healing for me to see what I had created from my emotions. So Deepa, I would say that there were two paths leading into my pursuit of color. One was a more traditional scientific professional study of plant-based pigments. It's the kind of pigments that uh, make your, the plants look pretty, you know, the red and the orange and the yellow primarily. And then the other side of it was more psychological. I don't think I could have predicted going into the direction of color to help me soothe my emotions. And I think that the work that you're doing in the world with sleep is so much connected to those two things, food and emotions. How do we bring together what we're eating in order to help our mood, which helps our sleep, which then further helps our mood. It's like one big web right there. Beautiful, Diana. And I think what I really loved from what you just mentioned was mommy's always right. And I must remember to tell my son this when we finish our conversation, <laughs> because I think he's exactly where you were all those years ago, where he's resisting whatever mommy says. And I suppose everyone has their own journey. But uh, I know that we have a lot to cover. And you are so right about how emotions interplay with sleep.
I think it's a really big aspect. I've done several episodes on anxiety itself. And uh, on the note of anxiety, I think it's probably right that we begin to talk about red foods and um, how the adrenal glands, they, I mean, adrenal function is a big part of sleep. So it's most people who are struggling with sleep challenges have some sort of adrenal dysfunction. So I would love for us to stay with color today. So if we could talk about all that the red foods do for us in terms of supporting our emotions and supporting adrenal function. And that's a great place to begin, especially since you mentioned your picture of the amoeba with the red over there. <laughs> that's true. That's very perceptive. I hadn't thought about that first painting. Yeah, let's start with red. Red, in, in my view, is the color of urgency, emergency, survival, safe, safety, and stability. It's all about our physical body. And when we think of red in the body, we may think of inflammation. You opened up this podcast talking about inflammation. And one of the reasons why people may not be sleeping well or adequately is because of brain on fire, adrenals on fire, you know, feeling an inflammation somewhere in the body. Maybe it's latent infection, like a gum infection or a bone infection that's beginning, but it's not apparent. And this changes our psyche. It changes our psychology. It puts us into a more reactive mode. There's actual science to suggest that being more inflamed corresponds with a more reactive type of nature. And so when we're more reactive, we can't make thoughtful decisions about our food nor our lifestyle. So we become trapped by this fire. Red is a beautiful color. I don't wanna dismiss it and say that, well, it's just about an alert in an emergency or evoking in a response, but it is also very passionate. We think of blood the color of oxygenated blood and how uh, really thinking about how red is a connection to family. It's a connection to our lineage. It is a, a power color in many ways and regarded as one of those colors that, you know, whether it's a tradition of feng shui or even in the business world, wearing a red suit to your interview, it denotes some kind of uh, action, right? So these red foods are active. When I think of red foods that are plant-based, I think of things like cranberries and cherries and strawberries and apples. And even within the apple category, you can have different phytonutrients for the different red apple varieties. So there's an element of variety that we need to bring into this discussion as well. There are also, here's the double-edged sword side of this, there can be pro-inflammatory aspects of red foods. Just because a food is plant-based doesn't mean that it's going to be helpful for everybody. And I look at things like tomatoes and nightshades, red potatoes, or even uh, for some people, goji berries, which are part of the Solanaceae family, I believe. And we look at how some people don't respond very well to red food, even strawberries, whether people get a histamine reaction, and, and so there's beauty in red and there's learning in red and red foods can be a divining rod to figuring out how to navigate our immune system. And during this time of uh, lots of immune vigilance, we have seen that there are these certain classes of phytonutrients that have been helpful for helping us with inflammation, right? So the anthocyanins, even some of the carotenoids like lycopene, which are uh, lycopene specifically is found in things like tomatoes, but then also watermelon or guava or um, grapefruit, pink grapefruit. So there are other foods as well. So if people can't partake in certain of them, they can try to get something else. But yes, red to me is the color code of either reducing inflammation or causing inflammation or part of the inflammatory cascade. I love that, Diana, especially what you spoke about the divining rod to help us understand. And it's so right because I'm histamine intolerant and uh, one strawberry will set me into a two, three weeks of histamine response, which takes so long to get over. But I think what people should really take away from what you mentioned is that we don't need to feel 
frustrated if we cannot eat something. There's still so much we can eat. And I think that's what we need to bring to this. Um, and um, I also want to quickly ask you before we move on to another color that I truly believe that psychology follows physiology more powerfully than the other way around. So when we eat to support our physiology, we are definitely contributing towards better psychology. And I'd love to get your quick thoughts on that because there's so much focus on mental health today. And one of my um, vision for 2022 is to bring a lot more focus into mental health awareness, but from the perspective that psychology follows physiology and therefore we need to begin with physiology before diagnosis. So we need to look at our nutrient status. We need to look at our physiological aspects of inflammation before diagnosing someone with um, se severe mental health challenges, which is what is happening a lot today. So that's been my vision for the year ahead. So I'd love your thoughts on that. Well, I'm on the same page uh, as you are on that, Deepa. I do think that the two are interconnected. It's bi-directional. It's uh, inseparable that our biology becomes our psychology. Our psychology becomes our biology. And that's why color is so powerful because it's in our environment. It signals us in a certain way. And that's in essence, if we are keying into nature in that same way, we could heed those signals and take them in when appropriate, right? I, I do think that uh, in a psychological way, let's just say that we're feeling sleepy. We're feeling tired. You know, we didn't sleep well. We can actually use red, whether in a red light kind of a way, wearing red, these types of things are subtle cues in our environment that are changing our psyche. You know, even though we started with the adrenals, I often look upstream because what informs the adrenals? It's the hypothalamus. This part of the brain is a true signaling uh, place. And I would even see, say that the hypothalamus is working with the eyes, how we see light and light is created of wavelengths, which correspond to color, this changes receptivity in the brain, which then leads to the change in the endocrine system down to the adrenals. Truly what we are seeing uh, is going to come into the body in such a way to change our psyche and physiology at the same time. I love it's an that. exciting area. I, I think yes. it's, it is really, and, and so no red in the bedroom, no bright red. Yes. <laughs> I would say yes. <laughs> got to be calming colors. That's why I even wore purple today <laughs> because I'm thinking, well, this is the sleep color. This is the insight color. Lovely. I didn't think about that. We should have sync today. I chose <laughs> the pale version of red. Uh, but I never wear red on that note because I think it just activates me too much. I'm what is a fire body in Ayurveda. And whenever I wear red, I find myself not in balance. And so beautiful what we talk about, how the eyes take in and give that input. And I just feel the difference in my emotions when I wear red. Uh, so I guess... I mean, that's a whole different conversation on body constitution and how colors do interplay with that as well. But let's jump into orange foods because I know that the orange foods have a lot to do with our hormones and um, there's an entire section on how our hormones and sleep have the bidirectional axis because women especially struggle with cyclical insomnia when hormones are fluctuating in the late luteal phase or in the ovulatory phase. So uh, how do orange foods help us with balancing our hormones? Yes, uh, this is something that I found in the literature when I began to do research on orange foods, seeing how certain carotenoids like beta carotene or even beta cryptoxanthin seem to correlate with reproductive function. There was an association there, a loose one, but still, uh, even if we look at the human ovary, there was a study in which they had isolated the ovary and they found uh, one particular group found up to 14 different carotenoids just localized in the ovary. 
We also know that uh, in the head of sperm, in order to ensure viability and to have that very potent uh, concentration of antioxidants, there's typically carotenoids in the head of sperm. So I think about our fertility, our reproductive health, and how there is the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal axis, which I do think is connected through this color of orange. And orange is a very warming color. It's a playful color, even in the animal kingdom. And I talk about this in my whole detox book, how orange is kind of the sexy color. Orange is, um, well, I, I guess if we look at fish and we look at birds, when the female is ready to mate, she is looking for a very brightly colored male. And uh, so, and typically bright orange in the case of certain birds and bright orange in the case of certain fish. And that, even though we can't say that the fish or the bird is thinking that, oh, that's survivability, that in, will ensure my survivability of my offspring, we could say that based on the nutrients that are making that particular species orange, it's the carotenoids. So carotenoids ensure our survival, make us fit for reproduction, and they embed into the adipose tissue. So when I think of the orange class, I typically think of the adipose tissue overall. And we know that the adipose tissue fat can be a source of inflammation, but it can also be a source of hormones. And so that's why as we look at women through the life cycle, how body composition changes, those body composition changes might actually coincide with changes in sleep, changes in inflammation or, you know, any number of things. And so that's worthwhile to consider. And another thing that I don't think that most cycling women think about is how their nutrients change throughout the month, mm. the follicular phase, the luteal phase, and how retinol, how vitamin C, vitamin E, different vitamins seem to track with different lipid levels, which are also cyclical and changing throughout the month. So we're complex, you know, we are hormonal beings and orange foods can help us to better navigate that space. And I mentioned, mentioned retinol, which is vitamin A. Beta carotene is one of the carotenoids. Many vegans use beta carotene to convert to vitamin A. That's their vitamin A or retinol source. And vitamin A is used for cell growth, differentiation, a number of different things, immune health, and again, ensures survival. So orange is all around um, a beautiful and color. It was the one color I didn't want to wear for many years. I felt like it was too, well, I have kind of reddish hair. So I think maybe it was just too much. You know how when you were saying when you wear red, it just doesn't feel right. When I would wear orange, it just felt like too much, too much. <laughs> but now I'm used to orange and I, I typically like to paint using orange. And so on a lighter note, I think if I want to, get my husband's interest going again at our ripening old age. I need to wear some orange at night. <laughs> you can uh, definitely try it. It, it. It's worth a try. That's for sure. It's a very luring color. It's a very, you know, it gets our attention when we see orange. Um, and I know, Diana, that the whole functional world talks about how the gut is at the center of all health. And I know you have a different perspective that that's not the only space. Um, however, gut health is a big part of sleep. And definitely there, there is an intersection between liver health and poor sleep. Um, so we... Um, it would be great if, and there's also this whole aversion to grains. There's so much anti-grain diets out there. And I know that you are a little different to all of that. So could we speak into yellow foods, but also a little bit about grains and how do these play with good gut health, optimal digestion, and therefore better sleep? Yeah. Oh, those are some nice dots that you just connected. When I think of yellow, I think of the sun, I think of fire, right? Even though when I mentioned red, we talked about inflammation and fire, I still think of red in a much different way than I think about yellow. Yellow is radiance, it's joy, it's happiness. Uh, there was a survey in Manchester, England in which they asked people what their favorite color was and then correlated that to mood state. And they found that yellow, like the bright, sunny yellow was the most favored color out of the whole spectrum. And that coincided with 
healthy, normal mood. So how does that connect into food? Well, I think about all the different yellow foods. There is a whole list of processed, ultra processed foods, things like cakes and cookies and breads and bagels and crackers and salty snacks that might fall into that camp of, of yellow, more of a refined processed yellow. And that burns our fire out. That gives us lower energy in the long term. Whereas the healthy yellows would be those that are more, they're enriched with catalysts. Like uh, when I think of pineapple, I think of um, bringing in bromelain, you know, bringing in the, the enzymatic rich fruits that are yellowish, right? So pineapple um, and also a bit of papaya, I guess, you know, having both orange and yellow. I'm thinking of India here, like papaya and mango, right? Then <laughs> uh, there's also lemon and ginger that have a lot of um, acidic type of catalysts and can be helpful for the upper gastrointestinal tract that can calm us or help us uh, with inflammation or even our mood state. You know, ginger is a very interesting, uh, I would say, plant uh, in general because it's you know, it's been used for nausea. It, it seems to, in Chinese medicine, it seems to work on a number of different um, imbalances, right? And, and in functional medicine, we might see that as connected to the gut. When it comes to grains, I, I began to think of fibers and how fibers are important signaling molecules. I do think we need to reinvent fibers within nutrition because for so long, people just got bored thinking of fibers. It's like, oh yeah, I need more roughage. I need to move my bowels. But now we know that these prebiotic fibers, such as those you might find in whole grains or legumes or fruits and vegetables, that they are providing very sophisticated unique differentiated fibers that then get worked on by our gut microbiome to create other compounds that then have their own effects. So fi fiber just in and of itself can have that very soothing, swelling kind of feeling in the gut where if we go too, too much too fast, we can become very just uncomfortable with that, but it can also help to signal the brain better as far as grains go, because I know that I think it's good that we pick out the disrupting elements in nutrition and what are hot buttons for people. I do think that everybody has to take their personalized approach to nutrition. And for some people, grains just don't work for their body type. And that could be from a variety of things. I do think, however, that there are some unique phytochemicals in grains, whether it's neurotransmitter or neuroactive compounds. Like I think of corn being higher in melatonin. Ginger actually has melatonin uh, as, as well. Um, you know, the rice has melatonin. And so when we start to omit foods and we say, I'm never eating this food just because of a personal preference, we may want to be thinking about getting variety then in a number of other food categories so that we get the complexity. I think that's important what you said, Diana, because um, in Ayurveda, there's also this belief that if something doesn't work for you, then you need to be looking at Agni, which is the fire within. And there's something wrong with Agni, which is why you're not able to digest that food and restoring the physiology so that you can have access to the variety is a very important aspect of all health. But you're so right that we need to really personalize that. And I personally love ginger for the the way it supports digestive health and uh, I think there's something even in Ayurveda when we talk about sattva rajas tamas which is sattva is the state of serene balance within ourselves ginger is actually a sattvic food it is a food that doesn't create restlessness it is a food that keeps us calm uh, and nurtures us and might have to do with the fact that you mentioned that it has melatonin um, so it didn't possible connections over there but let's talk about our green foods because I know that 
I love the green foods for how they support liver health, but I think you have a lot more perspective on nitrates and circulation and the lymphatic system and all of this is interconnected to sleep. And I have a whole chapter in my book on the connection between the lymph system and sleep. So I'd love to talk about green foods on that note. Oh my goodness. Well, green foods, when you stack up all of the colors of plant foods, the category that is the greatest is green. So nature wanna, wants us to have green. It's obvious because they're all over. We have leafy greens, we have cruciferous vegetables, we have bitters, we have these nitrate containing foods that open up our vasculature. To me, green is the color of the heart. Even if you look at a leaf of a plant, you can clearly see the vasculature, the chlorophyll, such a potent antioxidant, something so basic. You know, we have really, I think, made nutrition too complicated by going into, oh, this antioxidant, this one. When we look at what nature provides at a very basic level as a building block of all plants, it's chlorophyll. And so it's very purifying, it's clarifying. Uh, and plants in general, especially of the green variety, I see them as expansive. They're opening up the blood vessel. Indeed, the lymph is so important. The lymphatic system is, it doesn't even require much for the lymph to get it moving, just a small amount of movement. Um, and in fact, there are some theories that suggest that lymphedema, lymph stasis may be connected to things like cardiovascular disease at a deeper level than we realize. Maybe it's not just simple inflammation but it's how we're moving, how we're expanding. I was just looking at a picture of a blood vessel the other day, a cross section and admiring the layers and the layers and realizing how we could take a part of the body and find the universe in that, right? And, and in a blood vessel, you have the endothelium, which is a one cell thick lining. Then you have other layers like the connective tissue, which is more connected to the movement of that vessel. So if we think of the heart and then we think of sleep, most people, if they've got a heavy heart, they've got an anxious heart, they have palpitations, arrhythmias, any kind of blocks, any kind of emotional connection here. And this is uh, where many traditions see that there's a connection to our destiny, our consciousness, our emotional, mental selves they would say that this is the mind. It's not this, it's here, right? Yes. And so there's even a study from HeartMath showing that the heart is precognitive more than the brain. So we can sense in the heart through the, the EKG pattern even more than the EEG of the brain electrical signal. But yet these two are talking. So wow. if we're expanding here, we're gonna be expanding and clarifying and opening up in the brain and creating better circulation, which means better sleep. Because when we sleep, then we have our glymphatic flux and we're allowing for the convection of things out of the brain. So how does that happen? Again, expansion and really helping all of the vessels, the lymph and the blood. And on that note, Diana, I must ask you about how do we consume our green? Because there seems to be a lot of countering um, opinions on this. There's one section which says that it's only effective if you have them raw. And then of course in Ayurveda, it's the other way around that try to keep it more uh, consumable by breaking it down and sorting them or steaming them. So personally, I just feel get them in, get them in varied forms, get variety, but what are your thoughts on how do we actually consume these? My thoughts are your thoughts. I think we need a variety. We get different things when we eat things raw or cooked or even just steamed somewhere in the middle. We get different kinds of nutrients. Of course, we would never wanna overcook and brown the green to the point that it has no value or and it has toxic components, but I think a variety and depending on the season, our body type, you know, there's that whole idea of looking at, do we need more cooling? If so, we might need more raw type of greens. But an excessive amount, you know, what I see, let's just be a little disruptive with this a little here, because, you know, there's so much about 
having high amounts of smoothies with things like kale or celery or other kinds of greens that might be a little excessive for certain body types. So we have to key into that in a very personalized way to know that that is good for us and to observe any kind of patterns. It might be good uh, for a certain amount of time and maybe a certain time of year and maybe for certain people that have certain conditions. I think it's good to continue to rotate. Diversity to me is the name of the game, especially within nature, because that's how nature survives, is to have diversity of microorganisms, people, climates, cultures. And I think that the more that we bring diversity even into our cooking methods or how we prepare foods, that's really important. I love that. And I love that you mentioned the season aspect of it, because that is what Ayurveda always says, that first based on the constitution, then you always adjust food based on season rather than on a day-to-day -day input. That season plays such a big role in what we require. And I love that you mentioned that. Um, and I know we speak about aqua foods, but let's actually, I know there are, um, tricky, it's not quite aqua and what we mean is just foods which are from probably the ocean or iodine. Um, but I mean, all of this thyroid health is very much linked to sleep and um, um, and you mentioned palpitations earlier, there can be even subclinical thyroid issues where there's palpitations. So how do those foods actually support us? Yes. And so yeah, everybody can tell we're working up the color spectrum and um, within food and spirit, there's kind of this operating system. And so blue green is connected to the throat. And as part of this throat, it's, it's more, it's, it's this whole area here. It's our nose. Uh, it is our ears. It's our mouth. It's like the, it's how we take in food and teas juices, sauces, broths, things that we have to sip and take our time to take in. Think of how that helps us with sleep just in general, the how of eating. It's not just the what, it's not just the color, it's also the means, the how, the rhythm in which we are eating. And this is really the center of integration and in how we do all of that. When it comes to blue green as a food, I think of, just like you said, the green plants growing in the blue ocean. Things like, in fact, I was just at a Japanese grocery store. I really love Japanese food. I feel like there are so many health promoting qualities of sea plants that we haven't tapped into in our normal food supply. Wakame, nori, dulse, and um, bringing those into soups and broths and allowing those minerals to infiltrate. I mean, minerals that we probably in smaller quantity, but in the complexity, it confers a great benefit. We know that minerals are cofactors for so many different metabolic reactions, whether it's directly related to our metabolism, our appetite, or even how we, you know, ultimately, you know, the neurotransmitter production, right, that would directly impact sleep. So I do think that bringing in sea plants that are good, organic, free of toxic residues, because a lot of those sea plants, they tend to be high in fiber too. So they might actually sequester things in the ocean that are not healthy. So we do need to be aware of that. But I do think that part of the reason why Japan, specifically Okinawa, has been so um, good with longevity and they, they always seem to come out into the news, I think it's because of what they're eating and how they're living and the tea, and I experienced that in India as well. Chai is with every meal, right? So it's like, we punctuate the meal, we punctuate our day by slowing down. Tea helps us to remember to pause, is how I see it. So I, I do think blue-green and speaking our truth, you know, really making sure that this part of the body, you know, I, I often like to, um, I think about this part a lot because that's typically where we wear jewelry. We might wear scarves. We might wear a turtleneck. We might want to oh. have it and feeling secure, right? And so even with sleep, how is our neck? You know, I, I remember uh, even last year having some neck issues and realizing that that was in and of itself impacting my sleep, how it was on the pillow. 
So as we go through each of these systems, it's almost like even location of the body and the position of, of how we're holding that, that part of the body within our sleep. That's so right, Diana. And I had a conversation with Dr. Joshua Rosenthal last year, and he is an integrative endocrinologist focused on thyroid health. And he said something which was so beautiful that we talk about blue light and we cover our eyes with blue light blockers. But did you know that exposing our neck to blue light uh, when it's in the night is disrupting endocrine function and thyroid health. Uh, so when we are sitting for long hours, even before sunrise, if we are working on our screen or post sunset, we should be covering our throat with a shawl and not exposing the neck to blue light. Um, and Ayurveda talks about how vata, which is this stressful uh, I mean, vata, of course, is one of the doshas, but when it's in aggravation, it contributes to dysfunction in the nervous system, which is what we call sympathetic dominance. And vata enters through the back of your neck. So if you expose your neck to icy, cold wind, you're aggravating the nervous system. So there's so much what you mentioned about the position of the body and there's so much more than what we eat. And it's literally what we take in through all of our senses. And that's so important. And coming to my favorite category of color, which is blue, purple. And I know that I love those foods. I wish there were more of them in India. However, we do have the mulberries versus the blueberries. Um, and I know that this is also the area where you speak a lot about mood, brain health and sleep. And this is where it really all comes together because people who are struggling with mood issues, sleep issues, mental health issues, they all interplay with each other. So let's talk about blue, purple and also how can we eat them the best ways because I'd love for us to have uh, a little bit more time on this area of uh, blue, purple. Yes. Well, and as we move up into getting into the brain and into the pituitary gland, to really be thinking about the nose, that the nose is the superhighway into the brain. In fact, we see that with a number of different studies that the nasal passage, like right behind it, is essentially the pituitary gland. So whatever we're breathing in, the smells of foods, the aromas that we, we walk into the kitchen and we take that in, we cannot discount that as part of the meal and as part of the medicine of, of food because that's already, those particles are informing us. They're changing our psyche and our physiology and response to what might come from that food. So there's that food response, but then there's also what we're smelling by the way of essential oils and how that may be changing us. So even though we may not have access to a lot of these blue purple foods, what I want to let everybody know is that smells and aromas of whether it's essential oils or foods can also just be on their own very impactful because when we get up, things become finer and finer. It doesn't mean that it's more important. It just means that we don't need as much potency like a spice or an herb can um, be even more in intensity and have greater effect than having perhaps like an apple, right? Because you, you have greater concentration there. So the science on blue purple foods is pretty profound. And I would say out of all the colors and how I see the color code for each and the corresponding systems that we talked about, there is uh, truly a plethora of data on blue purple foods. These blue purple foods are high in compounds that are referred to as anthocyanins. And in various conjugated forms, whether it's the proanthocyanidins, proanthocyanins, it's like a whole category of flavonoids. These flavonoids, which are also pretty complex, just like the carotenoids, they seem to bind to certain parts of the brain to exhibit kind of this anti-anxiety effect. And in some cases have cognitive effects too. So things like learning and memory, and that's not my research. That actually comes from Dr. James Joseph and other people at Tufts University, 
and in other places where they've actually fed animals blueberries and would, they would look at how smart they were getting through something like a maze, right? And, and finding out that these blue compounds, these blue purple compounds seem to migrate to certain parts of the body for functionality. In other words, functional medicine, functional nutrition, I call it the functional signature of foods because there's a, a localization effect. It's a very specific effect. So if we're missing blue purple, we're missing the localization effect, which leads to the functionality of those blue purple pigments in the brain and what they're doing for learning memory and mood. So in terms of foods and food choices, the most amount that I can find in the research would be blueberries. For sure, there's a lot on blueberries. Um, second to blueberries, I would say Concord grape juice. Many people don't think about grapes and grape juice. I was surprised as I started going into the literature how much there was on grape juice, actually. So even just having a small amount of grape juice with a meal can be very good for the heart as well as the brain. Then there's also raisins, so dried grapes, and then uh, also prunes and figs, these types of things. But it's essentially we're looking at it's the compound we're after that makes that blue purple. So there is that signature for the brain that is bringing in. Now, I don't know about sleep research per se. I, I know what I have seen in the literature is more about cognitive health and mood. You can imagine that if we're taking care of our cognition and our mood, that in essence, by default, we're taking care of our sleep because we don't have all of that mental noise. So from that perspective, I, I think that there is this, this connection in. Um, and before we just come to what we say spirit and where we're talking a little bit about uh, clean water, vitamin D, which is a big, big role in sleep. Um, you know, there's so much, Diana, today on fruit and there's so much anti-fruit um, nutrition out there where most people are talking about not eating fruits at all. So. Personally, I think, again, this is personalized that, you know, if someone is trying to reverse diabetes and insulin resistance, maybe there's a reason to do that for a while. But otherwise, fruit has some great benefits. And we've spoken about a lot of fruit today. So I'm assuming that you are not anti-fruit. <laughs> no, I'm not anti-fruit. And I, I do think that fruit has benefited in its whole form. I think where people have taken fruit the other way is excessive amounts of fruit during times of the year that aren't natural for that fruit. So one of my colleagues, Dr. Jack Kornberg, used to say that we can't be giving our body the signal of summer when we're in winter by eating oranges to excess. That doesn't mean that we can't have an orange now and then, but it's not in the normal food supply. So to honor the rhythm of nature as it coincides with the rhythm of our own bodies. So I think other kinds of fruits, and if I look at when are apples and pears ripe, it's in September, October, in the fall months when we see more allergies. And we know that apples are higher in quercetin. So I do think that if we follow the flow of nature, she takes care of us so to speak, in a more symbolic way. But no, I'm not anti-fruit. The science is, is very strong for um, reducing the effects of aging with fruit, most likely because of all of these different phytonutrients. Uh, we also see more fiber when people eat fruit. We see better life satisfaction when people eat fruit. You know, it's really engaging uh, for me to see that. Now, if I have to choose between fruits or vegetables, which one has greater merit? I would say the vegetables are, depending on the vegetable class, will give us a lot of different things and probably, you know, less sugar. So that's good. But the fruits are definitely up there and I would not omit them. Just like in general, I would not omit whole grains. I do think that there's a reason for all of these different classes of foods and the different phytonutrients that they give us. 
this is why I love you, Diana, because every perspective always comes with balance and this balanced views. You always give different perspectives. You always talk about it being very personalized. It's not just black or white. And that's always what I love from you. And I think over time, I've strived to be like you in the world out there when I'm talking because I love that aspect of balance. So I want to just appreciate that and honor that for a second. And then let's talk about, just to conclude with a little bit about how clean organic food or sitting in the sunlight um, or just maybe uh, giving a break to digestion through fasting, how all of this can be beneficial to inflammation. Uh, and I know vitamin D plays a big role in lowering inflammation and in the role of sleep. So if we could just conclude with vitamin D um, and then we can just wrap up our episode for today. Sure. So this is the color white. If we are going to continue along the spectrum into a color, this is white. And white is, like as you mentioned, the color of spirit. It's interconnection. It holds all the colors. It's unity. And it's less physical and it's more spiritual, which means that we have less need for certain things that are physical in nature, like food. Hence, intermittent fasting. You know, why are we drawn as a society, as a global society, as a matter of fact, towards fasting. Why is this happening? I often think, is there a spiritual theme that we're all collectively undergoing? You know, back in the two, early 2000s, it was high protein. Everything was protein. It's like, you can't get enough protein. We were really in this root chakra time of like survival and, you know, our community. But I feel like now we're moving into this time of spirit. Most, <laughs> I think mostly because we have been through a lot of crisis. We've been through a, a huge global crisis over the past two years. And so when we move into spirit, we withdraw in order to get perspective. We withdraw and we allow ourselves to clear and cleanse. And in concert with so much about intermittent fasting, we hear so much about detoxification and cleansing and being pure, not buying plastic, that we're doing damage to our environment. And when we do that, we do it to ourselves. It's the macro and the micro, the interconnection of us as the planet, right? It's the big spirit of all of it. So I do think that um, there is a place for that within sleep and our entire being. And then there's the element of light, which of course you've talked about on your other podcasts as it relates to sleep and the circadian rhythm. I do think that... Um, there's something very mystical to me about light. I think that one of the trends coming up in the next, I would say five to 10 years, is it's going to really happen. Cause I was just at a conference in, in the past year in December, so many light therapies, whether it's infrared or blue light, people are using light as medicine and healing. And I do think that we're going to get to the point where perhaps we put on goggles which have a certain, uh, it's shining light. I mean, this is already happening actually, but I think we, we might use it more for sleep. People are using it now more for relaxation where they put on a headset, they see certain lights. My sauna that I even have at home has color therapy where I can sit bathed in light in conjunction with the heat, right? So it amplifies. I do think that light is the medicine of the future because it's, it is about the subtle energy. Before we have a biochemical reaction, there's a photonic exchange, right? So this is the finer aspect of our health and well-being. And that's what I think sleep is about. It's really about that balance of light and dark. And we could say that that's metaphorical. You know, in our dreams, a lot of uh, our processing comes out. It's a detoxification in a way. So having light and dark and living in this dual nature world is part of the human experience and bringing us out into the spirit, getting perspective on all of that, looking at our dreams, looking at the symbols in our life, withdrawing, reflecting. And to close on vitamin D, since that was your request, you know, vitamin D um, is, I, I would say the sunshine vitamin, but it's really a hormone and it's part of our skin. In fact, um, it's amazing to me to think of the skin as its own endocrine system. I mean, it's got the machinery of the, basically the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal function 
is contained within the skin. Like we are informed in so many ways through the skin and that's where precursor vitamin D is kept in order to be essentially worked on by the UV light and then we get this conversion and it goes from there. I, the only thing I would say about vitamin D is that I would caution us from looking at it as the holy grail vitamin or hormone, right? Because I don't think there's any one thing. And I think what has happened over this past two years of the pandemic is that people have just said, oh, just take more vitamin D. That's all you need. It's just more vitamin D. But then vitamin D needs other connectors. It needs more magnesium. It works with calcium. It works with other micronutrients. It works with vitamin K2. And so it's not just vitamin D. If we keep high levels of vitamin D, then we begin to need and maybe even create deficiency of other things like magnesium, because we need that magnesium to make vitamin D important. So vitamin D is not the savior. Vitamin D is part of the greater picture in the expanse of living well and being more fortified in a more nutrient sense. But I do associate it with the spirit system and light because it's part of its origination can come from light. And so having the sunlight, feeling the sun and kind of coming full circle now into looking at that presence and, and feeling radiant, right? And really thinking about all those elements playing well within us, all of those colors, the entire spectrum. And I think that when we're in that place, we feel the peace, we feel the ease and we can sleep right? And, and, and have that healthy balance. I think you're right, Diana, about the fact that we bring too much importance to just one aspect of health. And health is so much more than just one vitamin, one food, one protocol. And I love what you spoke about the skin being so important in uh, everything, endocrine health. And that's where the whole history of Abhyanga massage with oil massage. And I remember how mortified I'd feel when my great grandmother and my grandmother would be at home when I was a child and they would oil me and put me out in the sun in the morning for 10 minutes before having my bath. And I remember being so embarrassed by that. But I mean, there must have been some wisdom there in all of that. And um, uh, just to quickly close is that you also mentioned high dose of vitamin D and it might not all, it might create imbalance for some people. And I know that those who have some issues with liver health, me included, I cannot tolerate the high dose of vitamin D. So if I take the 60,000, I lose sleep completely that night because it's a fat-soluble vitamin and it's extremely uncomfortable on me. And I'm sure a lot of people out there might also have such reactions. Uh, and it's important to tune into that. But you took us through so much and we've done a rapid fire over one hour and it's just flown by. And so we do need to conclude this episode, but we do have all our guests conclude our show mantra. Uh, so if you could also complete the sentence, if sleep is the new medicine, then how would Diana complete that for us? If sleep is the new medicine, that's the, that's the phrase. Then I'm going to intuit this. I'm going to use my insight. Then we will connect to our whole self. I really do think that if sleep is the, the new medicine and we can reset ourselves, we find ourselves in better connection to all of these colors, right? Sleep, sleeping well means being a more colorful, radiant person. And I always say that colorful foods make for colorful moods. I also think that colorful foods make for colorful sleep. So food is medicine, sleep is medicine. It's all part of the bigger complex of who we are. I think that was the most holistic uh, 
answer to this question from all the guests so far and I love that <laughs> so Diana before I let you go where can people find you and I know that's not difficult at all if you just search Dr. Diana Minik there's so much that's going to come up but where's the best place to direct people I would say my website dianaminick.com and on there my books I would say social media uh, so many different free giveaways as well. Lots of different downloads about eating the rainbow, getting more variety that people can download and take that for free. Thank you, Dr. Diana Minik, for giving us your time. It was a pleasure having this conversation with you. And uh, I mean, I can't even tell you how, how much wealth there was in this. Deepa, my pleasure. It's a long-awaited conversation, and I'm honored to have had it. And it's perfect timing, right? Beginning of the year, setting the stage with more color. Thank you. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition. Be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.